Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Throughout history, UFOs or unidentified flying objects have taken on many different names, including flying saucers, flying disks, spaceships, flying machines, spacecrafts, and more recently, UAPs or unidentified aerial phenomena. The evolution of culture has definitely played a large role in this. But regardless of what they are called, more and more evidence is making it harder for people to discount their existence especially when the U.S. military reveals their own reports or sightings. On June 25, 2021, an assessment was publicly released by the ODNI, or the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, or UAPs. It states that the UAPTF, or the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, reviewed reports that occurred between 2004 and 2021. 144 of the reports originated from U.S. government sources. Of these, 80 involved observation with multiple sensors, and most were described as interrupting pre-planned training or other military activity. In addition, it was noted that most of the UAP reported represented physical objects, given that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors, including radar, infrared, electro-optical weapon seekers, and visual observation. It also states that sensors mounted on U.S. military platforms are typically designed to fulfill specific missions, and as a result, these sensors are not generally suited for identifying UAP. And because UAPs have demonstrated advanced technology, the assessment boldly, boldly notes that limited data leaves most UAP unexplained. The assessment also concludes that UAP clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Most Americans, however, disagree. In fact, a recent survey conducted by Pew Research right before the release of this assessment not only reported that two-thirds of Americans do believe in intelligent life on other planets, but more than half also strongly believe that UFOs are not a major security threat and that UFOs are also likely evidence of intelligent life outside Earth. While there have been numerous sightings of UFOs for hundreds of years, with multiple examples of early literary evidence, including a news article printed in 1561, which reported celestial phenomenon over Nuremberg or even John Winthrop's own diary entries in 1639, they only increased coming up to and following World War II. No doubt the numerous airstrikes made people pay more attention to the skies, but also World War II has been considered the deadliest war in our history, with 70 to 85 million casualties involving more than 30 countries. Perhaps it was time for an intervention. Mysterious aircraft and phenomenon in the sky finally became perceived as global phenomenon in June of 1947 when civilian pilot Kenneth Arnold coined the term flying saucers. Arnold reported seeing nine glittering craft flying over Mount Rainier. He said these thin, nickel-plated, tailless, pie-plate-shaped craft flew like saucers skipping across water at a speed faster than any known aircraft of his time at over 1,200 miles per hour. Of course, Arnold's report set off Cold War hysteria, some thinking the Soviets had developed saucer aircraft with captured Nazi designs. Others wondering if these extraterrestrial craft were on a mission to save us from starting an atomic war. Only one month later, in July of 1947, a newspaper in Roswell, New Mexico, claimed personnel of the nearby U.S. Army airfield had recovered a crashed flying saucer. Of course, the Army denied this, arguing that it was merely a weather balloon. 
The increase in UFO sightings, however, only made U.S. government agencies dismiss them or cover them up more for fear of essential channels of communication being blocked and for an even greater fear that these UFOs would be manipulated as weapons by foreign enemies. It didn't take long, however, for the sightings to overwhelm the U.S. government to the point they had to publicly make an effort and investigate. While Project Sign, which was started in 1948, worked to dismiss all reports and sightings, Project Blue Book became the longest-running investigation led by the U.S. Air Force. But just as it was starting to gain momentum, was shut down in 1969. Little did the government know that their official investigations, while still maintaining their flippant attitudes and throwing around blatant dismissals like swamp gas, would lead to a rise in even more UFO theory and belief through the number of movies and other forms of pop culture depicting UFOs, as well as organizations which formed to continue where they had left off. In fact, while there have been numerous UFO research organizations set up across the globe, one of the oldest and largest of its kind is the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON. Founded in Quincy, Illinois in 1969, this nonprofit organization, claiming more than 4,000 members worldwide, is committed to investigating UFO sightings even further. Since the release of the landmark report on UAPs in 2021, sightings by U.S. government sources have risen. Now, in 2022, the U.S. government has decided to take on a whole different approach by working hard to remove the stigma around reporting UFOs or UAPs. They are now committed to transparency, only as long as they can still preserve their, and I quote, war-fighting advantage, end quote. If you see something, now they want you to say something. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my pleasure to have Sam Moranto on my show. Sam is an investigative researcher and ufologist. You may have seen Sam on numerous television programs such as the History Channel's UFO Hunters and Dateline NBC's 10 Best UFO Encounters. Sam will share his knowledge of UFOs, his own personal encounters, and so much more. So don't go anywhere. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. What would it be like to deeply remember the secrets of your soul so that you can travel the unknown with confidence and genuinely sit back, relax, enjoying life without all the everyday worries? I'm Jen Dushin, a mystic mentor who guides you to align and amplify your soul's true mission. Get healing, clarity around your next steps, release unresolved guilt, agreements, and karma 
so that you can fulfill your purpose and reach your utmost potential while experiencing true freedom. Awaken the soul power within you today with me, Gender Shen. Learn more at gendershen.com. That's J-E-N-D-U-C-H-E-N-E.com. Microneedling is a revolutionary treatment that can help reduce the appearance of acne scars, fine lines, pigmentation, wrinkles, even improve the appearance of stretch marks by stimulating collagen and elastin. Sakura Skin and Mind specializes in this procedure that jumpstarts your body's natural healing process. Sakura Skin and Mind believes in not only keeping the skin up to date with the latest trends in the skincare industry, but also keeping the skin beautiful, fast, pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Sam Ronto on my show. Sam is an investigative researcher and ufologist. Hey, Sam, thanks for joining us today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure and a magnificent bit of history altogether. You put that out perfectly. <laughs> Why? Well, thank you so much. And where are you joining us from today, Sam? Just outside of Chicago in an area close to the uh, south side, which would be the Orland Park area. All right. Well, your accent didn't give it away. (laughs) So, Sam, how long have you been researching UFO sightings? Well, uh, my first encounter with a UFO, as you may recall, is 1959. And uh, my actual interest began in around 1967, I believe, when my father came home uh, from visiting uh, some, um, some of his clients. He was a teacher, a music teacher. And that they were, uh, what would you call, amateur astronomers. And so when he got there one day, he went out in the backyard and they were looking at things in the sky. And he, and he was told that they had seen some UFOs. They had no idea what that was, but they went in the house and introduced him to a book and a magazine, which ended up on the table the next morning. And that, little did they know, they gave him just a book and a magazine, but they gave me the adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> wow. And so how many, how many UFO sightings have you personally investigated? Uh, through, through MUFON, which is through the CMS, I believe I worked on summers around 511 or possibly more, uh, 511 plus uh, uh, reports. And I've worked on independent uh, cases besides that worked on some cases for CUFOS, Center for UFO Study, also for New Fork, uh, the National uh, UFO Reporting Center, and NARCAP, which is a National Aviation Reporting Center for Anomalous Phenomena, which was, of course, the um, O'Hare Gate C-17 sighting of um, November the 7th, 2006. Yeah, we're going to get more into that. So would you say that your, your desire to research UFOs was to disprove it? or prove it? I think the most important thing is to maintain objectivity. And since I had a prior experience, you probably have to be a a little more cynical, or I shouldn't say cynical, but necessarily a little more skeptical. Mm -hmm. What I'm looking to find out what something is or is not. And if we're at that point of the is not, and it becomes a matter of unknown, that's the point when it gets interesting. (laughs) Now, can you share with my listeners your first encounter? Yes, my first encounter was in 1959, and I'm still trying to pin down the uh, date on that, but it had been in the later part of October, 1959 on a Sunday. I was up at my uncle and aunt's cottage in the uh, Fox, by Fox Lake in McHenry uh, County, Illinois. And they had just gotten a new well, which I had to test out. (laughs) I had to go over and see how deep it was. So I'm dropping things down there. And my uncle said, get out of there, go in the back and do something else. Go in the back. And I started skipping rocks across the channel. 
Then all of a sudden, when I moved to my left, a brilliant orb, self-luminous, came across my right soldier, my right shoulder, and then it went over a fence in the other yard, come back up over in back of a, a, um, a willow tree and went into the clouds. Uh, I felt at that time a degree of a shock, like electricity going through me. Now, I didn't know if it was maybe some angelic force punishing me for dropping stuff down the well. <laughs> so I don't know if something was going on there. Either way, I was startled. But what became far more startling is that my aunt, in no time at all, what it seemed, was in front of me yelling at me, where were you? And I'm open, I look at her and I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, I've been looking for you for some time and I came back out here and you were not here. And I go, I've been standing here all this time. So I'm following her looking around and I realize it is much darker out. In fact, it was night and I'm walking towards the car trying to figure out what just happened. Wow. So that was pretty startling. So when I got home, my mom asked me if I was going to watch Dennis the Menace, and it was on Sunday at 8.30. <laughs> and uh, I said, no, I was so startled. I just went to bed covering my head. That was my first experience with something that would be an unidentified aerial phenomenon. And so now looking back at that experience, what do you think happened to you? Well, it could be, I'm thinking one of two things. It could have been ball lightning because there may have been a storm coming in. So I can't discount that possibility. It was a phenomenon of some sort. Uh, now, could it have been something along the line of a UAP? Well, I guess in the greater uh, uh, description of it, of course. Uh, but, you know, there may be a reasonable explanation like ball lightning. But then again, I did have some experiences thereafter that clearly were not ball lightning. And those seem to be some type of encounters of some type of entities. Mm. And uh, the description of them would be something like, um, I think the toys at that time were the cooties. I think you may recall those toys. Yeah, they're like the like centipedes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so our ants. Yeah. Weird looking. <laughs> and uh, it had spindly arms and uh, a large eye. And I had ongoing experiences with these things, not knowing what they were. And uh, this was prior to anything resembling science fiction, um, watching science fiction, or anything pertaining to UFOs or abductions, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, there was some form of telecommunication. And I had asked it, whatever it was, if it had a name. And I do recall some sort of correspondence and the, the word or the name had a, it was a hard consonant, like an R or something. And I told my mother about it the next day. And she says, well, it's just my imagination. Well, little did I know what imagination meant, but when I found out, I was terribly upset at my mom no. because this was a genuine encounter, at least to my experience and my reality, it was something real, not a dream. Was there an age where they stopped visiting? Yes, I had my last experience actually after I got married, and that was around 1980. And in that ex experience, uh, I had woken up and the entire room was self-illuminated, um, and I was extremely tired and in um, some pretty nasty pain in places you really don't want to be in pain at. I uh, went to the bathroom, came back out, and I was so tired, I didn't care if something was going to lop my head off or what. It was just very, very odd. Went back to bed and was out in no time. Next morning, woke up. All the batteries in the house, everything, the car batteries were dead. Uh, batteries uh, and clocks were dead. And then I had a neighbor from next door come over, pounding on the door. And when I opened it, he told me, he said, keep your UFO friends away from my house. <laughs> and now the guy was quite the character and I laughed and I'm like, what on earth is he talking about? And little did I know, first of all, he had no idea I had an interest in the subject or any experiences. 
And uh, here I found out that the conduit, um, the aluminum conduit holding the electrical, um, uh, major electrical wires coming into the house, had instantaneously, for no reason, just started on fire. Now, this is aluminum burning. Huh. And the house almost burnt down. They had to, there was a, it was an emergency. Now, little did I know there was anything going on. And um, that frightened the heck out of me. But that was the last time that I recall. And I'm happy about that because I didn't want to destroy any more neighbor, neighbors' houses <laughs> with any of my friends, you know. Right, right. So, so, Sam, what happened to you physically after these encounters? What were you noticing? Well, physically, I, I would say one, one unusual aspect, and in my family, my mother's side, we have nocturnal cognition, which seemed to have been uh, just a, an, an inherited ability as far as uh, psychic ability, if you want to call it that, and, you know, being able to have pre-intuitions, um, especially for family members or people close to you or even major disasters, especially air, airline disasters. I don't know why, but that seemed to be peaked and it seemed to be very more uh, vivid. Hmm. The other thing was um, uh, the electrokinetic disorders. That would be interference, interferences of electronic devices in, in and around me, um, especially in a state of being um, disturbed or upset. And this would go on and I would just blow it off as being just something unusual and nothing to do with me, no causality whatsoever, until people started to point it out. And it got to the point where at least some folks that paid a lot of attention to it wouldn't even let me in their businesses if they had a lot of computers. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah. And it, it, I don't have any issues with that anymore. Uh, I think this was something that clearly may have something something to do with my experience. Now, how did you end up becoming involved with MUFON? My involvement with MUFON was in the late uh, oh, 1990s. What happened is I um, I'd heard about a, um, a sighting uh, that had taken place in uh, New Lenox. A gentleman who was in, uh, a private pilot, he and his girlfriend were driving on Route 80 and uh, seeing some UFO, this object, fly right over his head. And um, he was all excited about it, called and reported it to the news. There were many reports that came in. And so when I heard about it, and he was given very good detail about it, plus he's a pilot mentioned the fact that he owned a coffee shop. Well, that's all they had to do is give me a direction on where this guy was and his name, and I was there. Hmm. And asking him, you know, a list of questions, getting more details. I went and bought uh, Stidwell maps from the county to lay out uh, the directions, started assembling all the other reports. And a few days later, when I went back, that, went back to see him, I ran into the assistant state director, Bill Leone at the time, and Sue Murawski was a field investigator. Both of them sat down. They had more uh, reports, so we started plotting them on the, uh, uh, on the maps to get an idea of which way it was going. This also gave the gentleman an idea on where to follow through and ask other people in that community if they've seen uh, the object. He actually ran into a gentleman who said it landed near his home and it appeared to be the description was like a cluster of, of glowing grapes hmm. sulfur luminous grapes and that finally just took off um we got to be friends through through time and uh, eventually right off you know i should say right off the bat they asked me to become a member but he kept hounding me and um, sure enough they got me to be a member and uh, within a year's time they became an i became an investigator Awesome. Well, I want to get back into that story, but we're going to take a quick break. So everyone stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more love from the hip. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about the number one cancer in the United States, skin cancer. Unprotected skin can be damaged by the sun's UV rays in as little as 15 minutes. 
There are many ways to detect skin cancer early on by performing routine self-examinations and also paying attention to the ABCDEs. A pertains to asymmetry, when one half of the spot does not match the other. B or border, when the borders are uneven. C or color, the spot contains varying colors like brown, tan, or black. D for diameter, when it grows larger than six millimeters or the size of a pencil eraser. However, they can be smaller. And E for evolution, when there is a change in size, shape, color, elevation, or another trait or a new symptom. There is now another method available to help detect skin cancer, and it involves a sticker. This new innovative technology developed by DermTech out of La Jolla, California, is changing the medical skincare industry. CEO Dr. John Doback says it's all about bringing the precision of genomics to dermatology. DermTech's smart sticker is a round patch covered in a proprietary adhesive that is applied over any suspicious moles. Once removed, it painlessly takes off just the tiny upper levels of the skin. The genomic material in the removed skin cells is then extracted from the patch and purified and analyzed by a lab to see if the lesion is indeed a higher risk for melanoma. Changes in the genome which causes cancer is measured by the smart sticker. Results can take three to five days and will show any of the target genes at an elevated expression level and at a high risk of being melanoma. According to DermTech, it detects melanoma accurately 99% of the time. Historically, suspicious moles or spots have been cut out and examined under the microscope for cancerous cells, which has not been that successful in detecting early-stage melanoma with only a 50% success rate. This sticker method helps to prevent unnecessary cutting and surgeries, risk of scarring from having a spot removed by a scalpel, and also caters to patients that may not want to go into the doctor's office quite so regularly. Not to mention, this sticker comes with less of a sticker shock. Medicare has been said to reimburse the cost of it at $760 compared to an average cost of a mole biopsy at $1,200. DermTech also hopes its smart sticker will eliminate the need for biopsies altogether, and they are working toward developing more non-invasive detections of other skin diseases. Hypnotherapy helps you discover and explore deep, sustainable life changes. Let Sakura guide your communication with your unconscious mind. Rid yourself of negative behaviors, fears, pains, and emotions. Weight loss, smoking, childhood drama, chronic pain, and much more can be addressed. Begin healing now. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com. Bring out the healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I am having a fascinating discussion all about UFOs with Sam Moranto. Sam is an investigative researcher and ufologist. So, Sam, what happened on the day that you ended up becoming the state director for MUFON? I had gotten a call from the uh, uh, director at that time, Dave Marler, who, by the way, I do have to say, he is by far the best archivist in ufology. And I'm going to have to give you more information on that, man. you got to have him on the show. <laughs> Anyways, I'm on the phone talking to him, and we're setting up uh, details on getting uh, pretty much a day figured out so we could get together and transfer everything, and I could become state director because he was moving out of town. Now, this was on, of all days, November the 6th of 2000, excuse me, the 7th of 2006, all of a sudden we're talking and Peter Davenport, the National UFO Reporting Center, interrupts the phone call. And um, Dave goes and says, I got to grab this. This is Peter and it's pretty important. I go, fine, we'll see each other on Saturday. We finally made a date, which was the 11th, I believe. Um, and um, here I find out that Peter Davenport was calling him up because the sighting was being reported to the National UFO Reporting Center at that time. He was telling Dave that they were going to have um, Dr. Haynes of NARCAP be the point man out of it on the case because the case involves air, uh, airline pilots. 
and he uh, and he was the gentleman in charge of pretty much anything that pertained to aviation UFO cases. Mm. So here I am. Before you know it, just becoming the state director, I've got this major case. <laughs> uh, it was the most viewed case, view story on in the Tribune, and it was baptism by fire. I tell you, <laughs> what so, a welcoming uh, committee. It was. It was one great welcoming committee. <laughs> so, Sam, can we talk about why you think the U.S. government is now wanting to remove the stigma around reporting UFOs? Well, it's important to remove the stigma, stigma for a number of reasons. It finally has been addressed and brought forward to Congress and the Senate, um, and it's been laid in their lap that this is a national uh, security concern which they have said in prior years that yes, it was, but then after the evaluation, they said, no, it was not. They have never said that they don't exist. In other words, mm -hmm. in each of the prior reports, it has always been a matter of, we don't feel there is any um, national concern, uh, security threat here. Well, this isn't a situation anymore. It has been shown to be a threat and now the only way to accumulate proper documentation is to get rid of the stigma entirely. Let people come forward, let them report what they are seeing, and then let's assess the situation. And why do you think there's an increase in sightings supposedly near these military bases or during these military trainings? And quite honestly, I think that it's not so much an increase of sightings it's because the stigma is diminished and now they have to report. <laughs> so in other words, it's just a matter of the environment has changed. And I was going to ask, so is there an increase in sightings in relation to environmental incidences? Yes. Uh, and would you say environmental instances doing uh, atmospheric or are you saying, uh, would you say uh, by location? or condition, what would, you what would you think? I would say atmospheric, also, I would say social and economic as well, right? Yes, so when you have an environmental um, condition of major change, set, something may take an interest in it. I'll use an example, uh, 1896 to 1897, the mass air wave, uh, air, air, uh, they called airships. Basically, they were seemed to be more elongated UFO sightings, uh, they were being seen during that period of time. And there were some 1,500 reports in the newspaper around the country. Now, some of these were, of course, nonsense, but, but many of them were not. But then if you take a look at what is going on as far as uh, sociologically, as far as economic conditions, we're having the largest influx of people flowing to the Northwest because of the Klondike gold um, the gold strike out there. So we're having this huge flux of people moving. And at the same time, we're also having, uh, as far as atmospheric and as far as environmental, we're having a huge amount of drought. Uh, I think it's also during a period of war uh, in, um, in South Africa, uh, there was some more going on. I think it was one of the Boer Wars was either starting or going on. And in addition to that, there was a low cycle of um, sunspots on the sun. Uh, the other thing that was transpiring is we had a lot of uh, interest in the Cuba uh, issues going on in Cuba. So it looked like we were actually building up for a war with Spain. So it, there were so many different elements of turmoil going on that it would have been ripe for something that may have an interest in humanity to take a peek at us. Now, are they meant to intervene? And also, are they intervening and we just don't know it? Uh, intervening, interrupting, being involved, I think the whole spectrum of uh, involvement is, is there. And I think that started back with the, um, all the way back throughout human history. You see uh, involvement and apparitions, you see UFOs and unidentified aerial phenomena actually being uh, very vital as far as the turning point in history. Uh, there are many indications that signs in the sky turned the course of history. 
And this uh, brings us all the way to various stages of evolution in science, incorporating, say, for instance, with Christianity, uh, you know, um, Constantine and uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the bottom line is, history is, history is full of uh, stories of signs in the skies, apparitions, etc. So everything from Jesus's birth, etc. So in other words, yes, um, I think there's been involvement either directly or um, subliminally. I don't know, but as far as directly, let's just talk about the involvement of of shutting down. Um, uh, say, uh, from a no-go or a go position, our uh, nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened in Malmstrom Air, at the Malmstrom Air Force Base. Uh, Echo and um, uh, the other location, there were two sites. Ten of them were, were knocked down. It also, they were also turned on in a go position. We almost went to war unnecessarily in Russia. It was such a concern that UFO sightings and involvements and unusual activities were such a concern, a special phone was set up uh, to give direct communication from Kennedy and Khrushchev. Khrushchev. In other words, they needed to be in contact to simmer down anything that was definitely a UFO instead of some sort of encroachment or intended attack on our part. That's fascinating. So I know that you love UFO, mass UFO sightings, and you happen to be involved in the Tinley Park sighting. I was hoping that you could briefly share that with my listeners. Sure. Uh, The Tinley Park sighting um, took place, the first mass sighting took place on August the 21st of 2004. And I always refer to as 2004 as the year of the weird. Reverting uh-huh. back to your prior subject, your uh-huh. prior question, because it was weird. We had <laughs> we had uh, the year prior we had ongoing an ongoing uh, solar cycle that went beyond the uh, eleven years, and we had huge coronal mass ejections and all this energy being shot out, and many a time being shot towards the Earth too. So you have all this energy built up in the Earth. So of course, in some period of time you're gonna have it released in some sort of, uh, you're gonna have storms, you're going to have uh, earthquakes, et cetera. Well, around August, to be precise, uh, it was uh, August the the 19th, we started to get um, uh, all sorts of unusual uh, activity in in, as far as hurricanes. We had 13 hurricanes that year. That was the most amount of hurricanes. Yeah. Right before the landfall, I was out, in fact, in Nova Scotia, coming back from a, a 25th anniversary cruise. We decided to take a couple of days off and take a cruise. And on the way back, uh, the wind and everything, it was horrible getting back home. But that very night, which was uh, the 21st, uh, my wife wakes up and she says, did you hear that? Now, here we are, 20, you know, it was the 20, it was the um, 21st and here she's up making a bunch of noise hearing things and i'm figured oh, doggone it the warranty is no good <laughs> you know it's like after 25 years <laughs> she heard something that startled her something severe that she got up and this was the first time she ever did that in our entire life and she was trying to explain this this unusual sound woke up that morning only to find a bunch of calls. And I had my phone disconnected at night. Peter Davenport was calling me. He had so many calls coming in. What had happened was there was a sighting, a mass sighting in the Tinley Park, Orland Park area, uh, but he was getting flood of calls coming in. People were seeing what would be three illuminations, reddish or orange illuminations and a triangular configuration and it hovered over the over the city and it moved about. And, and this was the day of the air and water show oh. downtown. So everybody's thinking it had some some correlation with the darn air and water show. Right. It didn't. Ozzy Osbourne was playing at the Tweeter Center nearby. <laughs> so they figured, oh, Ozzy had something to do with this. Well, whatever it is, maybe they liked Ozzy. Who knows? But <laughs> it wasn't a direct connection. Either way, 
floods of calls were coming in. And of course, this is one of the first times we're starting to get multiple videos from different vantage points, shooting the same observations at the same time. Wow. So here we have all this video evidence, multiple witnesses, hundreds of witnesses, and um, the police were going bonkers getting all these calls. Um, so we had more than enough share of, of people to interview. The media was all over it. Newspaper reporters were calling me left and right. We were reviewing video. And right off the bat, when I seen the video, first thing I thought, you know, maybe it's, you know, Chinese sky lanterns, flares on balloons or nonsense. After seeing it, rolling it back and forth, you can see that this thing maintained a, its, its geometric pattern. All that was changing was the perspective and vantage, mm -hmm. perspective and vantage of, of, the, of the witness. And this was something big and real. Right. It wasn't uh, any uh, nonsense. Any hope. No aircraft in the sky. No aircraft were in the sky for a couple of hours. And it just got weirder and weirder. Then as I looked into it, I seen that we had events taking place many days earlier. Minneapolis-St. Paul, there was an object over Minneapolis-St. Paul for uh, a number of uh, hours. I think it was nine hours sitting there above 30,000 feet, perfectly still in the sky. Then we have an object, uh, actually two objects being seen in Arizona in a 30 mile an hour wind. wind sitting perfectly still. Um, I went to that location. I knew the person that videotaped that. So, wow. yes, it was a great case. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then, of course, on the 24th, I believe is what it was, down in Melbourne, Australia, same, same thing being seen on video. And I saw the video, and it's very impressive. And I would say that my, I myself had my own UFO sighting back on July 17th of 2010 and witnessed the same situation. Everything that you described as well as how they moved, but also just even the video footage that you had, had shown me. So quite impressive. The images, when you, when you get close and you analyze it, he, uh, TJ's footage there, he had a 400 times zoom or some ridiculous thing. And even though you get pixel that pixelization, you could clearly see that you have a whole array of colors spinning around in there. It isn't just red or orange. Absolutely. Red and orange are your longest, are the, the length, the longest wavelength. So that's why you see it at a distance. That explains a lot. <laughs> well, it thank does. you for sharing that. And with that, we're going to have to take another break, but everyone stay tuned for more Love from the Hip. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Com. I want to take a minute and invite you on over to the Love Shack. It's a little old place where we get to get together, explore fresh perspectives, eavesdrop on juicy conversations, and uncover the mysteries that nobody talks about but absolutely influences our relationships. And we're Tom and Stacey Bartley. We are the hosts of Love Shack Live, which airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. PST, 1150 KKNWAM. Yeah, come on over and join us. We look forward to connecting with you soon. 
Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial designed for your rugged skin. A deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one, two, three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just joining us, investigative researcher and ufologist Sam Moranto is here with us today. So Sam, earlier you had mentioned with your own personal experience as a child, uh, your UFO encounter, that there was a, a telepathic communication. So I'm curious, is it possible that they can hijack our consciousness? I think that's a very key point of, as far as concern, especially from, we had mentioned already, national, national security concerns. Um, there's a movie out now that's, that's called Aerial Phenomena. And uh, Randall Nickerson is the gentleman who produced it and directed. Very good movie. And I encourage people to take a peek at it. It's a, um, a 60, you may recall this, it was on September the 16th, 1994 in um, uh, Zimbabwe. And it was at the aerial school. There were 60 children and they seen this object come down into a tree line. And then there were a number of these entities came out which communicated with them telepathically. Their eyes locked and it seemed as though they couldn't break that. And messages were telecommunicated to them. Mm -hmm. Telecommunication seems to be a very common uh, uh, common denominator when it comes to these occurrences. And you hit that on the head. Now, why is it a, a concern as far as national security? Hmm. Let's take a peek at the Nimitz sighting. And by the way, the Nimitz sighting was, uh, on, uh, was on November the uh, 14th. That's when that F-18 encountered the... Um, that object referred to as the Tic Tac, the, the two F-18s. Yeah. Well, by the way, that last sighting, mass sighting in Tinley Park was October the 31st of 2004. Oh. They said they were spotting them on the Aegis uh, spy satellite, which is the most advanced satellite at that, I mean, excuse me, a radar um, array, um, and they were spotting them days prior. So, I mean, there was a little span in between, if at all. We don't know if they were being uh, on the screen or, or, or seeing them beforehand or not. Right. Now, okay, let's say he's in the air. Fravor's in the air. He's in the F-18. This thing comes up. He's seeing it. These maneuvers, this thing moved. This object moved from 28,000 feet to uh, 50 feet above the water, 20 4,000 miles an hour, right? Well, the more frightening thing is it moved off to the very location where they were supposed to all meet and start doing their maneuver at. It's called a cap point, uh -huh. which was 60 miles away. How did it know that when the only person that knew that was him and the person on, on board wow. the, the ship? <laughs> so there are time and time and time again where we see something that interferes or is able to read the mind, but possibly at the same time read, we know it can transmit, but can it do so subconsciously? Right. And I think that's something you were alluding to, I think, in a prior conversation. Yeah, as if they could make us do things or see things. And that would be an element of control. Um, now, to what degree are we in control? Uh, if you have these things maneuvering around, how much is it, do we have complete control over something as powerful as that? I don't know. I would ask my cat, I think. <laughs> and most of, it, us, it, most of us aren't living our lives anyway, so. <laughs> no, no. So what the heck, right? So, so, Sam, I have to ask you, you had a couple documentaries that you wanted to mention with my listeners. Yes. The one I had just mentioned, Aerial Phenomena. Please see it. It is a perfect example of a mass sighting, but more importantly, how they go about investigating this mass sighting. It's fantastic. 
The other thing you'll see, and the other important thing you'll see is John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist who's in there, remarkable man. And uh, he has, you know, he's died, but, but he's, a, like, he's a legend. So you do wanna see that. The other one is A Tear in the Sky by uh, Catherine, uh, by Catherine Corey. And that has to do with, with doing proactive research, bringing the equipment out, getting real-time analysis. And that's something where we need to go as far as technology. Yes. And the last one is Moment of Contact by James Fox. And I'll leave it with you there. <laughs> now, do you think, Sam, that we can ever coexist? We have. We have for thousands and thousands of years, I think, since the advent of time. We are not alone. We've never been alone. And we need to become very much um, comfortable with that fact. And where this next paradigm goes, I don't know. But it'll be an interesting journey. And I hope <laughs> I see you there. Yeah. And what do you hope for the future of ufology? I hope ufology could, first of all, come together within itself. I wish we could take this, this to the level of being accepted as a science. Much has to be done, and a lot of infighting needs to be resolved, and we have to be taken seriously, but not seriously to the point that we forget our humanity. And I think this, prob this whole scenario has to do with who we are, what we are, and why we are, and we never should forget that. That's amazing. Now, you haven't hung up your hat yet. You're still out there investigating. Yeah, the old guy's still doing it. Um, <laughs> still finishing up some work, and hopefully he'll have a book out. I've got four in the process, and who knows when they're going to get done, but hopefully soon. Um, I'm going to be starting a new series of uh, presentations, uh, Eyes Through Time, which is going to be a little bit off the mark as far as the subject matter. It's going to embrace some of the more unusual aspects of uh, the journey. And sometimes the wrong turn just takes you to the right place. <laughs> and that was the case in point. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> now, do you have one last bit of advice for anyone that is witnessing a sighting, anything that they should grab, anything that they should do with their phone? Yes. And by the way, in all countries, I think oh, I think about 64 countries. I know South Africa, we have a, a chapter there in Seattle and many other locations in Washington. If you have a sighting of anything that you think is possibly a UFO, please call or, or just go online to MoveOn.com, file a report. The other thing is become a member, learn more about this. It doesn't take much money. And I can assure you, your time's going to be well worth investing. Love thank it. You. Thank you so much, Sam, for being here with us today. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer, and KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio, and you, the listener. You can find me at sakuratsutter.com. Really love the show. Don't be shy. Drop me a line at sakuratlovefromthehip.com. And tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya.